Bringing our children up to know and love the Lord is a sacred duty we take very seriously, but we may not always have a sense of the best way to bring the faith to life in our homeschool lessons. Today, it's my joy to welcome homeschooling mom Olivia Spears to talk about the importance of beauty and story in catechesis. Welcome to Homeschooling Saints, the podcast that helps you create the homeschool you love for the people you love. Our host is Lisa Maladnik, a Catholic life coach, TV host, best-selling author, and an instructor at Homeschool Connections. Before we get started, remember to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. And if you're watching on YouTube, click the bell to join our channel. Hello, I'm Elisa Maladnik, your host. And before we get started, remember to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. And if you're watching on YouTube, click the bell to join our channel. Today, I'm talking with Olivia Spears about the importance of beauty and story in catechesis. Olivia Spears is a Kentucky native and dweller, wife to a lifelong homeschooler and homeschooling mom of three. She holds degrees in theology and catechetics from the Franciscan University of Steubenville. In fact, it was her education there that first attracted her to homeschooling. In her studies, she discovered God's heart through creation, art music, literature, and the liturgy of the everyday. What a great expression. She wants her own children to taste and see the goodness of the Lord in the same way. With a team of faithful Catholic catechists, artists, and editors, she creates catechetical resources that help Catholic families build a legacy of faith in their homes. And you can find Olivia and her team at intothedeep.co. That's not .com, it's C-O. So just the way it sounds, I-N-T-O-T-H-E-D-E-E-P dot C-O, and that is in our show notes. Olivia, thank you so much with your, with your littles and all your responsibilities and hard work for making time to be with us today. Oh, Lisa, it's my joy. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and if you don't mind, um, say just a little bit more. We just heard your bio and all the things that you're doing there. Say just a little bit more about who's there and what you're doing. Yes, so I am, uh, like my bio mentions, I'm married to uh, uh, someone who's homeschooled the whole way through. And so that was a fantastic introduction to homeschooling for me as well. We met when we were in high school. And um, so I got to kind of see his family dynamics, which was really fun too from an early age. Um, and it was, it was really when I started my education at Franciscan University that I really started to, uh, uh, truly see the, the fullness of the beauty of the faith and man, that just lit a fire in my heart. And so, uh, now we live in my hometown and I have three small kids, uh, seven, four, and two, and we homeschool and, I'm doing a lot of learning and failing and trying again (laughs) and uh, (laughs) grateful for resources like your podcast that help me know that I'm not alone. Um, And and yes, and now just uh, creating catechetical resources for families who um, just have similar hearts and and hopes and uh, just desires for their family to live just that fullness of the faith. And so we do our our humble best to uh, support them and to give them resources that just help them do what God has equipped them to do. 
Oh, yeah. I love so much of what you just said, Olivia, and it's so heartfelt because I think because we've had such a tsunami, really, of new homeschool, new homeschool families because of the changes in the world the last year or two, we have a lot of people who aren't so sure they can do it. And to hear you say out of the gate, you know, the failures, the mess, um, but doing in our humble best to just kind of share what we have and encourage each other, that's really the ethos of most homeschooling networks is we're all in this together Nobody's perfect, but if I can do it, believe me, you can do it. <laughs> There's a lot of comfort in that kind of camaraderie, isn't there? <laughs> yes, 100%. So you really touched my heart with this topic because beauty is a favorite subject of mine and as a writer too. Like, And who, what human being doesn't love stories? Step us into how those three things, beauty, story, and catechesis, kind of were drawn to your attention as important values in your life. That's such a great question and a really important one. I think, you know, if when we're talking about catechesis, we're talking about religious education, and that's to learn about God, but also to come to know Him. And so, when we're talking about like the transcendentals, truth, goodness, and beauty, um, I was particularly drawn to the Lord through, uh, through the beauty around me. Growing up, my parents were really intentional about exposing me to the arts. You know, um, we would, anytime we visited a big city, it would be art museums and the theater and the ballet and things like that. And so, um, what was really interesting and what I didn't see coming in the way the Holy Spirit works is that when I, uh, when I started to study theology and catechetics, they were teaching us how to teach the faith. They were teaching us through those art pieces that I'd been exposed to for so long. They were showing us how, you know, these pieces of art actually like reveal a truth about God. And wow, if it did not draw my heart higher um, and and draw my heart to Him. And, you know, of course, we know everything is uh is finite and just a just a, a sheer image here, you know, just a, a piece of the the pie of what it's really, you know, like in the supernatural. But it um it really just transformed my understanding of the faith, my prayer, and um, even just through you know uh, music or um, especially story, you know, literature. It just really helped me almost put on glasses of Catholicism. And so everywhere I could look, if there was anything beautiful from like the Blue Jay out my window to the Bach on my record player, I would see it through the lens of of God and His church. And um, everything came alive, you know? And, um, you know, the Psalms talk about how all creation sings His praise. And so I think if we're just paying attention, then we have beauty all around us that is just waiting to draw our hearts and minds toward the Creator. Mm, that makes me think of a few years ago. It was kind of this time of the year and the trees were bare and the grass was brown and there's a little litter blowing in the street. And I, and I asked the Lord a question, something like this, Lord, how are you speaking through the beauty of the world now? 
And I looked up into the tree branches and I saw how the multitude of little branches all in their own unique way were reaching up to the sky. And that when all the leaves were on the tree, I couldn't see that beautiful underlying structure, kind of the heart of the tree's life reaching up as if praising God. And I was so struck. And I ended up enjoying that winter so much more just because my my heart was then attuned to those things which were being revealed in that particular season. Oh, yeah, that's so beautiful. And I think that, you know, even, you know, you talking about like the seasons of the earth, if we if we look at scripture and if we look at the writings of the saints throughout the centuries, it, they, they point to the rhythms of the world often, you know, as metaphors for the spiritual life and the spiritual journey. And so we really don't have to look far in the Old or New Testaments or in, you know, the doctors of the church or the letters of the saints where they're pointing out similar things. And so I love that you even notice that too of, we you know, we just have to ask, like, what are you trying to show me in this, Lord? You know, and um, and He does, He answers. Yeah, he certainly does. He's very quick to open our eyes and, and increase our spiritual vision. Mm-hmm. Link us up now with the importance of story. Oh, yeah. So, story is huge when it comes to catechesis. Um, first of all, all of salvation history is a story. It's God's story of His creation of man and His coming to us. And so, um, that's why I think it's it's so powerful. This is one thing that also, the first time that I heard this in the context of story, it just really transformed my life, is that God has been writing a story throughout all of history and we get to you know read about it in scripture and um but then it, it doesn't stop there you know the the early church picks up the torch of all the men and women from the old and new testaments and the saints throughout the ages and now we are a part of this story so um a, this story of the faith is not something that happened long ago and that stopped you know, we don't talk about it purely in the past tense. The story is still going, and we are pivotal players in the story. God has placed us here for a reason, for a particular role. And man, I think when we come to know that and really get to live it, then we see the immense importance in our lives and uh, how how life-changing our obedience to God can be our fidelity to Him in this story. So, um, you know, and and of course, we when we see our Lord in the Gospels, He tells story. He catechizes and teaches through story and parable because our human minds learn really well that way. Um, you know, if, I mean, we all know that if we hear merely a set of facts Uh, We may learn it or grasp some of it over time, but if it's told to us in a story, we are much more quickly able to uh, regurgitate it, to retell that story for to to con 
contemplate it, to think about it in all its different facets and meanings and layers, and of course, to allow it to change us. So um, so the human mind and heart is wired for story. And uh, it's why our Lord taught us, you know, us sheep so often through story, because he knew we were much more likely to, to grasp it uh, that way. And we're all the same too, you know, and, and we see that in our kids as well. Uh, when we're, when they're enthralled in a story, they could go on and on with the retelling of it. And, and that's what we hope to pass on with the faith, right? We're passing the torch to them and we want them to pass it on and to be able to retell um, and to fire up the next generation. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Long ago when my daughter was little and I was helping out in the parish, you know, catechism program and teaching at her grade level, I used to read a story aloud with pictures from the Bible and then have them get up and with a lot of helping and people getting to share roles, we'd sort of act out the high points of it. And after a few weeks of doing this, because they were super excited, I asked them if they had favorite stories and they all did. They all yeah. actually had favorites. And then I asked them to draw pictures. And even though we used no props or costumes or anything, their pictures were so rich. They were detailed. And it makes you realize that a story, as you said, or our hearts and minds are wired for them, fills in so much. It takes up life and residence in our being and, and, and it becomes a whole other world. So I just wanna agree wholeheartedly. Oh, that's brilliant. And I think that's what you did there is g giving them such a gift because I think that when the other thing that story does is really cultivates our imaginations. And um, we sometimes we don't really think about imagination being important in like prayer or spiritual life, but St. Ignatius would say otherwise. You know, our imaginations can play a huge role in our prayer and our spiritual depth. And so to have the opportunity like you did, you know, to have them acted out, to really just get their minds thinking and going, you know, and then they were able to reproduce these pictures that just come out of those imaginations. That's not just, you know, keeping them entertained. That is really training like their Christian imagination to meditate on the things of God. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I know there are whole courses on the Christian imagination. And one thing you sometimes hear catechists or theologians even talk about is the imaginative faculty. There are times when an image or our minds go down a little rabbit trail when we're in contemplation or, or just folding the laundry that takes us to a God moment, doesn't it? We yes. start imagining and God is speaking into that place in our being. Oh, absolutely. Yep. Mm, yeah, just beautiful, beautiful. So give us a sense of beauty story and catechesis. How do you integrate them so that they're working together? Mm, that's a great question. I think, um, like we said, I think the first thing is to just um, be aware, you know, to pay attention because I think when we're paying attention, what we'll find is the opportunities are endless to, you know, be driving down the road and you see a beautiful sunset. And instead of, you know, just kind of going on to your next thought or to-do list to kind of stop and say, look at that gorgeous sky that God painted. Thank you, God. Thank you for such a beautiful sky, you know, to turn that into a moment of to help them pay attention of like, wow, God is magnificent, you know, and um and, and so I think just paying attention is is the first half, you know, is like yes. half the battle. And then I think um, to really help our children see that they 
are a part of this story and that God has a specific role for them to play, just like he did Abraham and David and Our Lady. You know, we we have a specific role to play. And um, and I think I think cultivating their imagination too, just reading the lives of the saints, I remember that being really effective as I was growing up, just imagining these men and women and how brave they were and different they were from one another and from the world um, and, and just how they served the Lord with their whole heart in whatever situation He put them in. And so, um, so I think just reading the stories from the Bible, reading the stories of the lives of the saints, man, and just paying attention. That's, you're already well on your way, you know, if, if we're doing that. And um, of course, the the rhythm of the church is such a gift to us. Living the liturgical year, you know, is a great way to say, okay, you know, that this week we're going to talk about this saint because it's their feast day. And so let's let's deep dive. When did they live? Where are they from? What was the circumstances of, of their reality? And um, what what virtues did they particularly exemplify? And I think that we can start to just help our children observe what is good and true and beautiful. Um, and I think that's a great foundation. Yeah, 100%. Because we're attuning them, as you said, such a great point, that the saints we're very different from each other, but also in profound ways different from the world. And we know from the catechism, our souls are unique and unrepeatable. Mm -hmm. But what's cool is you talked about obedience being a key to this story going well, right? And so those saints all had some things in common in their beliefs, mm -hmm. in their obedience, and yet they had incredible freedom to be a part of an, a beautiful unfolding adventure walking with the Lord. I also noticed that you're, you've made such a point of the story is ongoing. We're in it, and we're living it with our children, and maybe it's casting our eye to the sky and say, look at the beautiful sky that the Lord had painted for us today. Um, but it also makes me think of Esther, you know, that for such a time as this, in this time and in this place, you are born born into this story. And so your role really matters. It's it's purposed here and now. Uh, just, just gorgeous points that you're making. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that too, you know, that sometimes we, I don't know if you ever felt this way, but I think coming into adulthood as, as a cradle Catholic, sometimes even the saints can feel unrelatable, you know, things like that. But especially when we paint them in context of like, they were just like you, you know, they were, they were five once, they were 15 once, they were 18 once, you know, and, and, and living, you know, similar through similar development that you are and, and similar questions about the world. I think that it helps them see like, oh, they took, they, they just took their place in the story. You know, they just lived out their baptismal call and grace. And, they, they were given everything I've been given too through baptism and through the sacramental life. And so I'm going to choose to, to take my place and to follow God's call and um, live according to uh, church teaching and to love the Lord with my whole heart. And I think that really inspires them just like 
just like, you know, when we hear, you know, when our boys hear stories of like Camelot, you know, and they, what do they do later? They strap on, you know, cardboard boxes or shields and sword fight, you know, it's kind of the same idea with the saints, you know, when we tell them these stories of these saints and, um, and even stories from, you know, scripture of the patriarchs and even like the life of Christ, it can have a similar effect. They're going to want to go strap on that armor, so to speak, and, and really live out that same, you know, that call to sainthood. And it's neat as a mom too, isn't it? When you see a child play out something they're learning, you see it playing out at their level. You can see they're not maybe, they may be sensing a deeper spiritual truth in their being. We don't know what the Holy Spirit is doing, but they're living it out in a way that's appropriate to their ages. Um, yeah, no, it, it's so interesting. I remember when my daughter was little, I, I guess I'm just wired this way for story too. She and I are both writers. Um, and that is, I would ask questions like, what do you think will happen next or whatever? And my mom is a teacher and she heard me doing that and she was like, oh, that's just what you should do. But we were both, like when you step into the story, what will happen next? Or what do you think she's feeling now? You know, when somebody's saying, if you don't, you know, renounce your faith, you'll be dragged off and, you know, something mm -hmm. terrible will happen. What is she feeling? It, again, it can take us out of that plaster saint mode of where they're not, we can't identify them to actually walking a little in their shoes through our imaginative faculty. Absolutely. Yeah, good stuff. What kinds of fruits do you see with this approach of kind of weaving beauty, story, and teaching of the faith together? I think there are many. I think the first is that Christ is the divine and ultimate teacher. And so I feel uh, secure in in following his steps, you know, in 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 the presentation of the gospel and um, through you know parable and things like that through story, and so um, and also not just not just Christ, but the church has has frequently just handed on the faith that way. That is why we have so much beautiful art and music and and literature that you know that has themes that point to you know the supernatural or divine um, to sanctity. That's why we have such a rich history of that is because the church has been handing on the faith that way since the beginning, you know. Um, and even you you think back to the early church, they they told they told the story. They told the story of the salvation of salvation history over and over. So this is kind of the way the church has always done it as well. So it's really beautiful to kind of take on that that rich history of teaching through story and handing on and beauty. So I think there's a lot of a lot of fruit in um, in kind of preserving that tradition of of the way that the church has um, has grown and spread throughout the centuries. I think also too, and and this is you know this is a great hope of mine, a great prayer of mine personally, uh, and and with into the deep, you know, is that um, we would just provide in opportunities for our children to encounter Jesus, because um, he's going to be the one who. Uh, changes them, who uh, who makes them holy, uh, who makes them disciples, you know. And so, if if the way that I present our faith is simply an invitation and opportunity after opportunity for them to encounter the living Word, then then that's the best I can do, you know, because he he's going to be the one who does it. And so, I think 
in kind of helping them develop their Christian imagination, helping them have a Catholic worldview to be able to, you know, whatever they encounter to evaluate it, appreciate it, uh, accept it or reject it through the lens of their faith. I'm I'm hoping that that will just give them the tools um, so that when they do encounter the person of Jesus, they don't have any questions when he says, follow me. Wow. Wow, that's just beautiful. That's so exciting to think about. And drawing everything back to the person of Christ, who is the source and the summit of all beauty and this mm-hmm. great story and, and all that we're teaching our children. When, when you're moving into the space of teaching the faith with your children, what are some typical struggles that you encounter? Because we're, you know, you're a very inspiring person. We're not always going to feel inspired every day, and our kids aren't always going to be cooperative every day. <laughs> what, no. what kinds of things do you run up against as a mom? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think the I think the hardest thing is that none of this is measurable, you know, Um we, you know, there's no test that we offer that really determines, you know, where they are on the road in discipleship or, you know, there's no way that we can know at five the decisions that they'll make at 35. You know, there's a lot that is unseen, that is hidden, and that is out of our control. And that's different, um, especially, you know, we're, we operate in this mode as homeschooling moms. We're, we're constantly evaluating, okay, is this math curriculum working. If not, I, I I have control. I'm going to make the change to do what's best for my child. So we're kind of constantly evaluating, okay, this is working for this kid, but not this kid. So I, I, I get to, I have the beautiful opportunity to make that shift. It works a little bit different in the life of faith. Um, we have this beautiful task of handing on the faith, but it's largely immeasurable, you know. Um, and especially if we talk about handing on the faith in this way through through story and beauty, um, there may not be a lot of evaluation along the way. Um, and so we may be able to see, okay, well, they've, you know, they've memorized the scripture passage, they know the Ten Commandments, they understand. Um, or they have they seem to have like a grasp of the Marian dogmas, but but we can't really evaluate, you know, where where they're at with the Lord, of course, unless, unless they share it with us and things like that. But ultimately, like we said, we don't have control over it. Um, we just get to facilitate opportunities for them to to choose Christ every day, just like we have that invitation, you know, to choose him every day. So I think that's the hardest thing is that it's not super measurable. And what makes it extra hard too, is that this is probably what we care about most, (laughs) you know, as, as Catholic homeschooling moms, this is probably like the, the highest value to us, right. When in, in raising our children. So the fact that it is like the most important to us and it's also like we can't measure it in the same way we can measure other things. It takes a lot of just faith and trust and perseverance and prayer and surrender. Um, and that's not super easy for us. So I think that's probably the greatest challenge. Um, on, a, on a practical level, I think probably the greatest challenge is just finding it's finding a um, either like a curriculum or a resource lineup or a lineup of books that's really going going to fit uh, the way that you would like to pass on the faith. So I think just that is more like trial and error, you know, like we do with with other subjects until you find something that 
really encapsulates the way that you'd like to pass on the faith. But um, but but definitely the former is probably the greatest trial. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that makes so much sense. We have our earthly struggles and we have that desire to see a progress report from God or to see that we're doing yes. a good enough job. I mean, that can really get in the way of our trust if we just maybe chronically feel like we're not good enough or not up to the task. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and I not. think, and we're, we're not. Yes, and that's one thing too that I like to highlight for parents as well is that, um, again, yeah, we're not the ones who do it. It's always Jesus. It's always Jesus who does it, and our task is just to be obedient and faithful and open to His grace. And I think that um, at the end of the day, like you said, we want a progress report and we want to know, you know. If, if we're doing everything correctly, but that's just not the way. And um, and so it does, it takes a lot of humility and surrender and just trust and saying, I'm doing my best, Lord. I know that you can do anything. I literally can't do anything apart from you, you know, <laughs> in the gospel of John, our Lord makes that clear, you know, apart from me, you can do nothing. So, um, just increasing our own dependence upon Him, I think, uh, will help alleviate those those just worries and fears that we all have. Yeah, and we can't help pass some anxiety on to our kids. Nobody's perfect, but <laughs> just even working at having faith and turning it over to the Lord has got to have an effect on the environment of our home, that we have an attitude of trust. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, He offers us the grace. And, and that's, what, that's what I like to tell moms is, He's he's given you the grace. He's equipped you. You know, I think like you said, we're we can be quick to think, "Oh, I'm not good enough. I'm not qualified for this." You know, that's a common um worry about from people who are even considering homeschooling, you know, I'm not qualified at all. We can think that about like our child's religious education as well. Um, but I just like to reiterate, no, like, the, you know, the church says you're the, you're the primary catechist. So the Lord's not going to say that and then not give you everything you need. So he, he has equipped us and he'll give us all the grace that we need. Um, and so I think we get to just rest in that and maybe fret a little less. <laughs> I love that you said just rest in it. Cause I think we, by just rest, the, when the Bible talks about rest, it's about resting in the Lord. It's mm -hmm. not that we're not still busy and still doing things. It's that we invite him in. And so we know that he carries more of the load than we can see. Oh, absolutely. Mm, just beautiful. If you mm -hmm. had to say, have some moms around you that are just starting out, what are some steps you might describe to them that they could work with to start maybe using packaged religion materials or create their own? Or what kinds of steps would you invite them to try? That's so great. I think a couple of things. Um, we, if you're just kind of overwhelmed with all the options or information out there, I always think starting in scripture is a great place to start because it gives them that foundational story that they're a part of. Um, and it introduces them to our Lord in the gospels. And so I think that's always a great place to start. If you're overwhelmed and you're like, I can't do anything, just do that. You know, um, that's that's probably one of the most powerful things you can do for them anyway, you know, along with living a sacramental life, which you likely are already doing, you know, going to mass, going to regular confession, things like that. So um, I, I think when we're kind of evaluating either curriculum or resources or things like that, I think from a catechetical standpoint, there's a few things that are important. My first question would be like for someone to consider is, does this material um, 
teach our children how to pray, because that's one thing that's super important as well, right? And and hopefully our children are learning to pray from us in other contexts as well. You know, everything from bedtime blessings to prayer before meals and um, like liturgical, you know, feast day prayers. And of course, the the liturgy of the church and the mass. Um, But does the resource teach them how to pray? Because that's one of the greatest gifts we can give them is to kind of show them um, what a life of prayer looks like. So a resource can be helpful for that. And also, you know, just our own personal witness, um, ourselves having a life of prayer. So then being able to see that in us. Um, So that would be my first question. Does it, does it teach them to pray? Are they after not only teaching them or or like not only um, helping them learn about God, but to know him in their hearts? Um, the other thing I think import is important is the story, you know, and we've we've said a lot about that, so I won't belabor that too much. But yes, does it does it show uh, the context of the whole history of God's creation in the context of story that we are now a part of? I think that's hugely transformational for someone to realize that they are a part of this epic and they have been chosen and raised up by God for this moment, like you said, and. Um, so I would say look for that too. Another thing I think is important is um, is memory work. So Pope St. John Paul II said that um, a memoryless catechesis is like uh, living in a desert, you know. So, so memory is important uh, when it comes to catechesis. Now, I don't mean this as like... Um, dry rote memory where you're just kind of like drill, 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 and that's it. Um, I think that's kind of desert-like as well, but cultivating memory is really important. And interestingly enough, story does that. You know, before records were widely kept, how did we preserve memory of our grandmothers and great-grandmothers and great-great-grandmothers, we tell stories, you know, we tell stories of, of like, this is how our family, you know, came to this place, or this is how our family makes biscuits, you know, like everything is like passed on through story. So that helps our memory. Also, um, I think memorizing scripture is a huge gift and part of catechesis for several reasons. The first is that um, scripture itself tells us that God's word is living and active and it's it's effective. And so it's alive. And so the stories or what God said to the Israelites through the prophet Isaiah um, is what he said to the Israelites through the prophet Isaiah. But there's also a word in there for us and it applies to our lives, too. And so I think memorizing scripture verses allows us to really see um to really see the whole context of, okay, how does God intervene? How does God move, you know, um, in our hearts and in our communities? And then I think it's important because scripture is true. (laughs) It's God's word and it is true. And as an adult, one of my most effective tools in like spiritual battle is memorizing scripture, is having scripture verses just stored up here because when temptation comes or when the enemy hurls a lie, if I can pull that quickly, like, okay, 
I can see that like the enemy's after me and I'm, he may be telling me one thing, but I know what God has said and God has said this and I'm able to, to speak that what is true and um, what God says about me or life or his purposes and plans. Um, I rely on that heavily as an adult. And so I'd like for my children to uh, have an arsenal of truth stored up in their hearts and minds. So I think um, if somebody can find something that really hits home with scripture memory, and that can just be you choosing verses that you want your family to memorize together. I think that's awesome and and so effective. Um, and then the last thing I'll say, which again, we've kind of hit on is just, does it help them develop a Catholic worldview? Does it help them be able to encounter um, anything and say, oh, I can see, like, I can see elements of um, goodness and beauty and truth here, um, or I cannot, and it's not worth my time, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, can I look at art? Can I listen to music? Can I hear a story and say, oh, that's kind of an allegory for what Christ did for us. Or, oh, the way the light is used in that painting speaks to a truth about the light of Christ. So I think giving them an opportunity to develop that lens of Catholicism um, is is a huge gift and something to look for as well. Mm, So good. So good. Thank you so much. This is all um, just kind of um, almost piercing my heart in a good way. You know, that, that these are some of the core ideas that will help us to really, to show up, do our part, and and be able to hand them off to the Lord as they grow and, yes. and venture out into the world. Any final thoughts that you'd like to leave us with, Olivia? No, you know, I could just talk with you for hours about all of this. It's so, um, it's so enjoyable to talk with someone who's... Uh, whose heart is for, uh, you know, her children in the same way and for the Lord. And so, thank you. It's a consolation to me always to speak with any mom who's like, oh, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm living this hidden life, too, and I'm, you know, giving it all I've got, too. And um, so, thank you for that, first of all, even just— even just knowing the people who will watch us or listen us listen to us, just knowing that they're doing the same, um, man, it just— it pierces my heart to know like, hey, the body of Christ, we're um, we're following him together, you know, even in our little hidden spaces. So I think my final thoughts would just be, um, let's just continue in that, you know, let's just continue to run the race and open our hearts to his grace because he's going to provide everything we need. And um, just to cultivate our own hearts in a posture of love for him and surrender and ultimately um, thanking him for the great gift and duty that we have in catechizing our children and knowing that we can go to sleep at night saying they're there they're yours Lord ultimately and um, and I think there's a lot of comfort in that mm. amen and amen everybody go to into the deep.co to find Olivia Spears and her compatriots there doing good work. And is there a way there for people to reach out directly to you, Olivia? Yes, absolutely. They can reach out to me there. Um, y'all can follow along on Instagram at Into the Deep Co. as well. We're active there. So um, we'll hopefully provide something that will encourage you and inspire you as you go throughout your hidden work, your important hidden work. I love that. So much is hidden uh, that 
that will not be hidden forever, that we will see clearly yes. one day. Praise the Lord. I love that you mm-hmm. framed it that way. Everybody, thank you for being with us, but don't go away. We have our short feature coming right up. Hi, I'm AJ Catapan. Welcome to Books and Blessings, a place where I get to share with you books for Catholic teens and tweens. Today's selection is a middle-grade historical novel from European author Sophie de Mullenheim, translated into the English for Ignatius Press. The book is called The Phantom of the Colosseum and is the first in the In the Shadows of Rome series. In this action-packed tale, we meet an entire cast of characters from ancient Rome during the early years of Christian persecution. The story begins with a slave girl named Blandula, who, after recently being set free by her master Cornelius, witnesses him being dragged away by Roman soldiers to be executed as a Christian. Although she is not a Christian herself, Blandula still wants Cornelius to have a proper burial, since he had been kind to her and she knew it would be important to him. Knowing only that he had been taken to the Colosseum to be killed, Blandula sets off to see if she can reclaim his remains. Meanwhile, we meet two Roman teenage boys named Titus and Maximus, the latter of whom is the son of an important Roman senator. When Titus has his treasured amulet snatched from around his neck, he and his friend Maximus chase after the young thief. They are accompanied by Achilles, the teenaged African slave Maximus had received from his father for his 15th birthday. What they find is an entire gang of young thieves hiding out in the cavernous storage rooms and holding cells under the Colosseum. Their attempt to retrieve the amulet from these thieves leads them on an adventure that entangles them with Blandula's attempts to try to find her master's remains to give him a proper Christian burial. The Phantom of the Colosseum is recommended for readers aged 10 to 13 who like action-adventure stories. I stumbled upon the book at my local Pauline bookstore, but you can find it at online booksellers as well. To see more book suggestions, visit my website at ajcatapan.com. There you can also learn about my own middle grade novel, Seven Riddles to Nowhere, and my new book for educators, catechists, and homeschooling parents called Sweet Jesus Is It June Yet? 10 Ways the Gospels Can Help You Combat Teacher Burnout and Rediscover Your Passion for Teaching. Thanks for joining me on Books and Blessings. Be sure to find me online on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, or on my website, ajcatapan.com. Until next time, happy reading. And that's our show for today. Our program is sponsored by homeschoolconnections.com. Be sure to subscribe to Homeschooling Saints and leave us an honest review. God bless you and thank you for joining us.